Produced at the studios of KBOO Radio in Portland, Oregon, this is Free Culture Radio. Free Culture Radio neither promotes the use of any drugs nor condemns people for being involved in drugs. To the extent that drug use presents problems for individuals or society, those problems are made worse and more intractable when people who use drugs are treated as others and ignored, stigmatized, and even brutalized. war being waged by the Putin regime against the people of Ukraine continues to rage on. In this edition of Free Culture Radio, we're going to look at the impact of that war on people in Ukraine who use drugs. Some may be in recovery. Some may be in treatment. Some may still be using illegally. What they have in common with each other, and with you and I, dear listener, is that they are people, human beings with intrinsic rights and dignity. Some still in Ukraine, some now refugees scattered to the world. They're not the first to suffer the cruelty of war. Sadly, they will not be the last. What's important, what matters most, is how we respond. The European Monitoring Center on Drugs and Drug Addiction, the EU's drugs monitoring agency, recently held a webinar on this entitled Displaced People and EU Preparedness and Response, Lessons from Ukraine. On this edition of Free Culture Radio, we're going to hear from a couple of the experts. First, here's Konstantin Domshev, MD, MPH, Scientific Director at the Ukrainian Institute on Public Health Policy. Thank you. Uh, I will continue in English, so please stay on the respective translation channel. Um, Also, I would like to start with uh, thanking you for this opportunity to speak. Uh, at this webinar and uh, you know share our experience and our stories i think it's important uh, that you know global community medical and uh, not only medical uh, continue to receive accurate information about what's happening and you know what uh, efforts uh, we are undertaking to overcome this crisis um okay so um olga gave an excellent uh, over general overview of uh, the health sector response uh, in particular with treating uh, people with opioid um, use disorder. I will you know, probably give a few more details um, from the data that we collected uh, during this year. Um, my institute, together with the Public Health Center uh, of the Ministry of Health of Ukraine, uh, we've conducted uh, several surveys actually this year. Uh, one of them uh, was uh, done among people who inject drugs who are not in treatment, and another one among patients uh, of opioid uh, substitution treatment program. And uh, we wanted to assess, of course, the, uh, the impact of war uh, on uh, aspects related to drug use and to treatment, uh, first of all. So I will share some of that. And then, you know, if a few um, more um, uh, experiences and the uh, lessons learned from uh, from our efforts uh, in OST program in general uh, we've done a review of uh, this um, of these uh, you know experiences and uh, um, and have prepared the public publication which is now in submission hopefully it will come out soon um, okay so now uh, to some of the uh, results that we've obtained first of all uh, about drug use um, Interestingly, we did not see major changes. Uh, we, we did ask about you know, the level of drug use before the war and then currently, and were able to compare. So uh, among people who inject drugs, there was a slight increase um, in almost all substances. 
and overall it was like you know few percent uh, more uh, in in the recent drug use in almost all um, substances and uh, you know in uh, in groups like opioids and stimulants and both of them uh, in OST patients it was vice versa there was a reduction in substance use and it's hard to you know, we we did not you know do not yet understand the reasons, but you know that this is what uh, we got with drug use. Uh, we also asked about their uh, general sort of subjective uh, experience uh, with accessing drugs and uh, their opinion about uh, quality and uh, um, availability of drugs. Uh, it was similar to what what we have done you know during the COVID uh, epidemic. Uh, to assess the changes uh, during that time. Uh, so um, more, uh, about half of uh, people who inject drugs noted that you know access to uh, to their usual drugs became um, more complicated in the initial phase of the war. But uh, then uh, you know it was mostly restored. So at you know at the time of the survey, they I mean the, the access to the, the, the drugs was uh, pretty similar to how it was before. And again, this was uh, similar to to the situation that we had during the COVID. I mean, in the initial lockdown period, we had you know reduction in access, or you know decreased access, and then it, it was restored. Same same thing here. Uh, there was an increase in prices uh, for most of the drugs, but I think it it is it correlates with you know general sort of uh, inflation in Ukraine and the you know, prices increasing. But it was not, not 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 too dramatic, I would say. It was like, you know, 20 to 50%. Uh, also, there was an important question about uh, the access uh, to harm reduction programs. Um, we So we asked, you know, how was, uh, you know, how easy it was to access. And again, uh, in the initial phase of the war, uh, there was a... Uh, you know, it was became more complicated. Uh, about thirty percent of people who inject drugs noted that. But then, uh, you know, within a few months, again, it, the programs adapted and uh, all coverage and services were restored in, 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 the, in, in the areas that we surveyed. So this speaks to the incredible, you know, commitment and uh, uh, dedication of harm reduction programs. Um, and I think, you know, this. Uh, this is really, you know, positive, positive example. Um, now, uh, going back to the uh, opioid agonist treatment, um, again, Olga have said um, um, most important things. I will highlight several of them. Um, for, of course, you know, during the first uh, weeks and months of the war, uh, you know, the, the, there was an incredible stress and, you know, to due to various factors, intensive fighting, occupation um, of uh, several regions, destruction of infrastructure. And of course, you know, many people have to had to move um, and not only from, you know, from the battlefield regions, but also from other regions because, you know, we had... Uh, you know, constant shelling and rockets and missile strikes uh, all over the country. So, you know, that there was sort of countrywide migration and uh, uh, disruption of all the logistical chains. And this has, of course, brought, you know, very, uh, very significant challenges to the treatment program, not only OST, but, you know, any any treatment programs that require, uh, you know, chronic uh, treatment. 
Uh, and in, in, there were incredible efforts uh, led by the public health center to restore the medication supply. And uh, really, I cannot uh, stress how, how you know how dedicated they were, they were and how uh, you know the commitment was really impressive. And they managed to uh, uh, to so they they sort of managed it on a daily basis and uh, re uh, and. Uh, and the supply of the medication was done basically manually from one facility to another from because the main warehouse where the medications were located uh, it's uh, just north of kiev and it was you know really like a battlefield at that time and it was not uh, possible to um, to access it um and you know bef- before uh, uh before the um, russian forces withdrew from from kiev I mean, we really had to manage the remaining stock of medication that was left in pharmacies and in facilities. So when the public health center was doing it basically manually, um, but it helped us to to, main, to maintain the services and maintain treatment. And really, uh, only a few um, uh, reason you know there was some reduction in the number of patients, um, but it was mostly you know from the sites that. Uh, were closed uh, due to like real fighting and destruction of uh, facilities in the eastern regions, and um, but that quickly the programs uh, uh, resumed operation and uh, we were enrolling new patients pretty quickly. So I mean, overall, now we have plus uh, five thousand patients, which is really impressive, I, I think. And um, uh, once you know, once uh, uh, the medication supply was uh, restored, I mean, we you know there was really you know significant scale up. Uh, from our survey, we learned that um, you know some sites did have to uh, reduce the doses of medications because you know when, during this uncertainty period uh, they were not sure when the next supply would come and just you know extend uh, their main stock. They had to reduce the doses. Uh, and about 20% of patients in our survey reported that. But we think that, uh, you know, it was a relatively minor. Um, well, it's, it's not, it was, you know, we had to do it. And it, uh, it probably caused some discomfort in some patients. But overall, I think it, it helped a lot, you know, to, to ensure uh, that, that there will be no complete interruption. And, and again, when the supply was restored, then, um, you know, if the doses came back to normal, and we see this in the same data as well. Um, then um, uh, we also uh, did a survey of providers, uh, and uh, they confirmed this uh, uh, that they had to reduce the doses to some patients, uh, you know, at some sites. And but then, you know, it was and now it came back to normal. Um, what else should I say? Um, uh, yes, and you know another important thing was um, uh, was the um, uh, previously we had uh, take home dosing was allowed for uh, patients who had uh, to uh, you know be confirmed as stable had to have you know negative urines and had to have uh, like at least three months in treatment. Uh, but you know of course during this initial phase. Uh, uh, of the in the full scale invasion and all the uh, factors, uh, it was allowed to you know provide take home doses to all patients for up to thirty days. Previously, the limit was ten days, and uh, uh, it, it was a really you know good thing, and it helped many people to uh, move across uh, the country uh, without interruption. 
so this was another adaptation and I think that uh, we have to you know sort of keep it as a, a sort of a backup plan in case you know that there will be another wave of migration and uh, overall uh, in, we do not have you know our sort of monitoring system for OST program uh, is not yet fully online I would say not not fully national uh, so we cannot really uh, you know, have a precise figure of how many patients have migrated. But again, the public health center was collecting this data from the sites directly, and uh, our accounts are that about eighteen hundred patients have moved uh, during the initial months. Some of them have come back. Some of them uh, uh, remain uh, in the western regions. Yeah, this this is the number for the internally displaced people, and and you know, certain number uh, was. Um, uh, you know, went abroad, and um, but it was Adolga said that there were about uh, hundred or something patients that we sort of managed to confirm that they were abroad, but probably there, there are many more than that. And they always have to remember that, that these are mostly women because men are not allowed to leave the country. Uh, so probably now that there could be more. Um, we will uh, do another study to assess the effects of migration uh, and uh, how it affected treatment interruption and the, you know whether it was and of course there were some interruptions and then in the survey we uh, about five percent of our, uh, our respondents said that they will you know they had interruption of uh, OST treatment um, but uh, for HIV treatment, uh, you know, those who were receiving HIV treatment, uh, about 10% said that they uh, had interruption. So, I mean, there could be clinical consequences to that. Uh, but again, um, and just sort of to summarize, I think due to the incredible commitment and resilience of our healthcare workers and also our public health professionals, uh, uh, I think we managed to sort of mitigate the most, the most uh the biggest risks and you know the majority of patients continue treatment and it's and harm reduction services also uh were you know remained in place uh there are many more stories that we could tell uh, including from Kherson region which was occupied uh but this, there were about nine sites there and uh I think seven or eight of them were continuing treatment during occupation uh, which was you know really risky for their lives because you know OST is banned in Russia but they were sort of not doing this anyway uh using the remaining medications and you know there was uh, even one uh at one point it may not have been Kherson but you know that there was an, uh, an instance when uh uh, when we were able to ship medications to an occupied uh, territory through, you know, through the, all the checkpoints, and, and uh, it, again, it was risky. So yes, the commitment was incredible, and you know, uh, I really uh, want to thank all the healthcare workers and public health professionals for that. Um, and also, I would like to thank all the international community because uh, all the support we are receiving from our friends from all over the world is is also. Very important to us and really help us to um, yeah. uh, help us to you know continue our struggle and our fight for freedom. So thank you. All.
That was Dr. Konstantin Domshev, scientific director at the Ukrainian Institute on Public Health Policy. He spoke December 14th at an event sponsored by the European Monitoring Center on Drugs and Drug Addiction entitled Displaced People and EU Preparedness and Response. Lessons from Ukraine. We'll hear more in a moment. You're listening to Free Culture Radio. I'm your host, Doug McNamara. Welcome back. Let's hear more from that EMCDDA webinar entitled Displaced People and EU Preparedness and Response, Lessons from Ukraine. Gana Dovbak is the executive director of the Eurasian Harm Reduction Association. EHRA is based in Lithuania and unites 335 organizations and activists from 29 countries of Central, Eastern Europe, and Central Asia for a progressive human rights-based drug policy, sustainable funding advocacy, and the quality of harm reduction services responding to needs of people who use drugs. Thank you very much for this opportunity, and I will speak English, uh, but but would want to speak Ukrainian. Uh, and uh, I need to say that uh, for the networks like ours, uh, uniting uh, harm reductionists all over the Eastern Europe, Central Asia, uh, that's become the real uh, mobilizing factor, the war in Ukraine and this genocide which is happening. And from first of all, um, we were mobilized to help uh, Ukrainians who are fleeing from the war. And even though the officially it's uh, lower numbers, but in, in reality, people who were uh, looking for not only OST, but harm reduction services, uh, naloxone in uh, all countries, first of all, in European countries, including first, first of all, Moldova, Poland, uh, Czechia, and all neighboring countries, and then Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, and then again Central Asia and Caucasus countries who, who were not so, uh, like, governmentally, uh, that this uh, people's uh, initi- initiative and helping uh, absolutely unprecedented help from the volunteers and services and drug treatment services and HIV treatment services, uh, medical care uh, facilities uh, were shown all around the Europe. Uh, and Actually, what we did and what we helped, it's to connect the community of people using drugs who are fleeing from the country, uh, to connect social workers who are still in contact with people who are fleeing with uh, those who could support. So there were several... um, like databases and information uh, sources to show what is happening, where to get support. And I need to say what happened with the harm reduction and harm reduction as a civil society and community-based service, which was on the front line in the first steps where people were looking for everything. What we see, and it's important lesson learned, that in the crisis situation and humanitarian crisis, harm reduction becoming shelter, becoming such comprehensive social medical care that uh, these people uh, even being supported for harm reduction being outreach they start working 24-7 providing humanitarian aid evacuation costs uh, uh, sleeping bags uh, some uh, generators to, to plug in and all the services. And this is true for Ukrainian organizations who are really community based organizations uh, are working 
hand in hand with the medical doctors, but that's also heroic work on supporting all these people fleeing around. The same with Moldova. They were united together to provide services and to coordinate this work. The same with Poland. That's absolutely amazing work. Uh, and now we see harm reduction as a very comprehensive, which address in this, um, in addition to general harm reduction services, it's redirecting to medical care, it's kids packages, it's food, it's evacuation costs. And that's important issue to take into account that it's impossible to feed the services only with HIV response money. And what we see like we 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 are also as a harm reduction is facing mental health challenges need to have uh, mental health doctors and sometimes even antidepressant treatment uh, we need to to address gender based violence and violence against girls and women uh and and again uh sexual reproductive health it's so connected in one life in in one crisis and it's impossible to support only with the hiv response that that's important uh to understand for all of us and especially for european countries who are facing we we all in economic crisis we're all in humanitarian crisis but in the same time uh Funding for harm reduction and sustainability of harm reduction in OST and low uh, how how low threshold to OST services to access OST services. What the Ukrainians who came in countries became catalysts of very problematic situation in Southeast Europe where we have no harm reduction left or or very few countries have real harm reduction services. With OST services, the, the very high level thresholds to access for local people, but for migrants and for, for Ukrainians who are coming, like we were reporting everybody not coming to Hungary, sorry, because it's impossible to get. Or you need to 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 try to 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 make the appointment with the addiction doctors two weeks before you will you you how how big barrier for the services we exist in uh in the majority of Europe. Uh and what is important also for us uh responding this crisis that's uh that we all united and, and that's important very important moment when um HIV response, addiction services, medical care, and government are committed really to respond. And they were shown absolutely extremely flexibility of services. And we are, we are thankful to all countries who were ready to change their systems to accommodate all these people and to help them. But in, in the same time, thinking strategically about lessons, what we have now, it's not only addressing this humanitarian crisis, which we will face in, in nearest years. And I'm very happy that Olga uh, addressed this rebuilding or revitalizing the, the medical system issue. But in, and, and I'm, I'm absolutely impressed. In Ukraine, harm reduction services was supported from state funding during the war period, which is not, not possible in Romania, Bulgaria or Serbia or Bosnia in absolutely peaceful time. So, so that that's impressed me the, the most in this situation. 
And in Ukraine, they are speaking about the opening uh, opioid substitution treatment sites in recently deoccupied territories. In, in a weeks after the territories were occupied. So, so it's absolutely example of heroism and, and um, uh, coping with challenges. But what is important for us all to understand that uh, region, European region, broad in broader meaning, including Central Asia and Caucasus, will not be the same. And we are facing crisis with the values and the war with the values. It's not just the genocide against the Ukrainian people, which is happening. It's also the war for the values of human rights and values for the uh, drug policy, which is built and services for people using drugs, which is built on the human rights values. And this is important to understand in our advocacy work and in our politi political dialogue, uh, because it will not be the same. And we, as a regional networks, we do have this communique, I will share in the chart, uh, understanding that uh, cooperation with authoritarian states like Russia or Belarus is impossible and dialogue need to be built in a different in a different way and, and only after the, the winning of Ukraine and after they will respect the human rights values. Thank you. That was Ghana Dovbak, the executive director of the Eurasian Harm Reduction Association. Now let's hear from Jane Montenay, EMCDDA head of unit public health, with closing remarks. I'm hearing so much about the massive challenges, but also the, the commitment and the strong mobilization from health services. Um, admirable, and, and they're both within the Ukraine. A link in part, I heard there were supply issues at the start of the invasion, that, that often services were, were restored within the country. Um, also, I'm hearing about strong mobilisation amongst uh, externals, amongst international civil society, organisations, NGOs, and the importance of networks and, and networking. I'm getting the message that the numbers currently needing particularly treatment services in neighbouring countries, the numbers are pretty low. I'm hearing there's an expanded role for harm reduction that's that's emerged um, during this crisis and that, that we definitely need to stay vigilant. And I'm also that the numbers um, and the needs around infectious diseases are, are emerging and possibly higher than for the substitution treatment right now. Big concerns for the future that, that are being raised at the end, particularly the mental health issues coming up, but I heard earlier about the harsh winter, the winterization um, ideas, the problems with health system, the health systems and the damage, uh, and also the morale, the staffing um, challenges. Importantly, I think we, we've, we've mentioned a few things that this crisis has shone a light on um, as well, which includes poorly funded and low accessibility of services already in some of the neighbouring countries uh, are now kind of highlighted a little bit more than they were but also lessons, just that last point I take away, the lessons learned um, for other groups of migrants, um, that, that perhaps we're learning some better skills in terms of preparedness and, and how we might offer services to different groups. That was Jane Montenay, EMCDDA, Head of Unit Public Health. She spoke on December 14th at an event sponsored by the European Monitoring Centre on Drugs and Drug Addiction entitled Displaced People and EU Preparedness and Response, Lessons from Ukraine. And for now, that's it. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to Free Culture Radio. I've been your host, Doug McVeigh. 
A big thank you to everyone out there fighting for civil rights, human rights, and social justice. And thanks especially to you, dear listener, for your support. You make it all worth it. Free Culture Radio is a volunteer production for Community Radio, syndicated via the Pacifica Foundation Radio Network's Audioport Service. Theme music for Free Culture Radio is composed and performed by Tom Nickel and Four Dimensional Nightmare and is used with permission of the artist. Free Culture Radio is available as a podcast or direct download. You can find links at the website kboo.fm slash freeculture along with an archive of past shows. We'll be back in a month to continue our examination of drugs, drug cultures, and the influence of drugs on society. Thanks again for listening. This is Doug McVeigh saying so long. So long. So long.